Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you that it is salvation. Lord, to all who believe, to all who believe, whether they are Jews, whether they are Gentiles, it is the power of God to salvation. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds today to hear your word, to see your word, to see Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, as we stare and gaze into that very image of Jesus, we ask God that you would transform us, that you would change us, and make us become more and more like Jesus in every way, Father, that you would be glorified in us, in your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so here in Acts 10, remember, uh, we, we kind of did a, a long introduction last week, and Acts 10 introduces Cornelius, and Cornelius is a devout Roman centurion, going about his normal routine. He has no idea what God is getting ready to do, and as he is praying, as was no doubt his daily custom, God comes to him in a vision. God sends an angel to him, and this vision that God gives to Cornelius literally changes the course of history. So let's read these first eight verses in Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continuously. And when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here is this man, Cornelius, a centurion in the Italian cohort. Remember, we said that a centurion means he commanded a a hundred men. He was a commander over 100 men, and all of these men were Italians, which means they were all Roman from Italy. And he was described as devout, generous, God-fearing and prayerful. Remember, it was not an accident that God chose this centurion at a seaport who commanded a thousand other Romans who were also from Italy, which means where was their family? Back in Italy. Back in the central location, the center of the Roman Empire, And from Rome, all roads went to the ends of the known world. Remember, all roads lead to Rome. And that was a 
literal, figurative thing. All roads literally led back to Rome. And so God did this in his providence to make sure that the gospel did not stay confined to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but that it actually went to the utter ends of the earth. And the prayers and the almsgiving of this man Cornelius were two outward expressions of his devotion and his fear of God. His devotion to God was clearly known and experienced by others, thus his reputation. The faith of Cornelius, in other words, had legs. It didn't just have lips. You know, some people's faith is only their lips. But the Bible says that our faith has to be more than just with our lips. Our faith has to be more than what we simply say. Our faith has to be who we are, what we do. It has to have legs. This is why James writes in his letter, without faith, without works, our faith is dead. Remember, he says, you tell me about your faith, but I'll show you my faith through my works. Well, this describes this man, Cornelius. He feared God. He was a devout man. He was generous. He was prayerful. He was known to be a man of faith. Now, the thing about Cornelius, though, he didn't really know. He had faith in God, the God of the Jews, but he was getting ready to have a revelation of what that faith was really meant to be and what God purposed his faith to be. About the ninth hour of the day, that's three in the afternoon, Cornelius has a vision in which an angel comes to him and calling him by name tells him that his prayers and his alms have come up for a memorial before God. God hears our prayers. God sees what we do. So God had heard the prayers of Cornelius and God had seen the generosity and the giving of Cornelius. The fact that Cornelius gave out of his faith toward God. All of that had come up as a memorial, for a memorial before God. And the angel then instructs Cornelius to send men to Joppa, which is about 40, 30 to 40 miles south on the coast, to retrieve one Simon, whose surname is Peter. This is Simon Peter, the apostle of the Lord Jesus. He's lodging at the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. And Cornelius obeys what God instructs him to do. So that's Cornelius. Now we come to Peter, the Jewish apostle of Christ. So we have Cornelius the Gentile Roman centurion. Now we have Peter, the Jewish apostle of Jesus, who is there at Joppa, living in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And remember, after Peter had left Lydda, he healed Aeneas. He goes to Joppa because they called him, and he raises Tabitha from the dead. And then the news of that spread, and it says all the people... Turn to the Lord. And so Peter is staying in Joppa, preaching the gospel. And while he's in Joppa, he's staying at the house of Simon, a tanner. And at the very same time that all of this is happening, Cornelius is up there in Caesarea, unaware of everything that's happening south of him. 
And as the servants of Cornelius are drawing near to Joppa to find Peter, Peter is going up to the rooftop of Simon's house at the sixth hour, that's noontime, to pray. So remember, the hours of prayer for the Jews were 9 a.m., noontime, and 3 p.m. Those were the three hours of the day that the Jews would pray. The day, the third hour of the day was 9 a.m. The, the sixth hour was 3 p.m. And then 6 p.m. started a new day. And so Peter's going up on the rooftop. They didn't have roofs like we do. They had flat roofs, and very often they would go up and they could eat on their rooftop. They could watch the sunset on their rooftop. I mean, it was a living space. And so Peter goes up there to pray at noontime, and while he's doing this, the servants of Cornelius are on their way to find him. In other words, Peter has no idea what's getting ready to happen. Now let's read the next several verses, beginning in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, so Cornelius sends his servants, and they set out on their way. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at all four corners descended to him and let down to the earth. And in this sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Do you see this common theme with Peter? He denies Jesus three times. Then at the seashore, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter's out fishing because he's convinced himself that he's burnt his bridge with Jesus, so I'll just go back to fishing for fish. Remember what Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, come follow me. He denies Jesus three times, and Jesus is on the seashore. They come to the shore. Peter comes up there, and Jesus causes Peter to affirm his love for Jesus. How many times? Three times. Now we have Peter up on the rooftop. He's in Joppa preaching the gospel. He's a faithful Jew. This is who Peter is. He's a faithful Jew. He's given this vision, but he doesn't know what it means. It may seem obvious to us, but to Peter, it went against everything he knew because he was a faithful Jew. In all of Peter's life, he had never eaten anything common. He had never eaten anything unclean. He had always obeyed the laws concerning those things common or, or unclean, whether food or whether people. In other words, Peter didn't eat bacon. He didn't eat pork chops. He didn't eat pork butt. He didn't eat ham. He didn't eat those things that were called unclean or common in the law. Peter obeyed 
the dietary laws. And God lowers this sheet down, and inside of it are all these animals and all these creeping things and all these birds that were against the law for Peter to eat. And God says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, oh, no, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever touched my lips. And God had to do this three times with Peter so that Peter would understand that this is the word of the Lord. And what does God say, Peter? What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Why were pigs unclean? You know why? Because God said they were. For no other reason except God said they're unclean. So you don't eat them if you're a Jew. But what is God saying now? God's saying, Peter, see all these things that you call unclean? They're unclean because I called them unclean, but you know what? Now I'm calling them clean. And what God calls clean, don't call unclean or common. Peter's like, well, is this really God? And God three times does this so that Peter understands what's being done here. But he's still wondering. God changes the world and God changes our lives in the most unforeseen and less than obvious ways. I promise you, Peter did not see this coming. He simply went up on the rooftop that day at noon to pray, waiting for lunch to be ready. There was nothing unclean about the lunch he was getting ready to eat. And then, lo and behold, God lowers the sheet, reveals this to Peter, and he says, don't call what I have cleansed common any longer. God changes the world. God changes our lives in the most unforeseen and less than obvious ways. It was still unknown to Peter, but God was getting him ready to do something that would change his life. It would change the church and it would literally change human history. Unknown to Peter, God had placed him and many other people right where they needed to be in order to see the gospel fill the earth. This is what this is about. This is about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This is about the mandate God gave to man in the beginning in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill it with what? Fill it with the image of God. Fill it with the good news of God. That has been our mandate since the Garden of Eden. And God has put everything in place for this to happen. And Peter didn't realize it. And Cornelius didn't realize it. Peter may have realized that he was to preach the gospel. That's what he was doing. But he had no idea what was getting ready to happen to him into the world. So think about this. Remember, God changes the world in, in the most unforeseen and less than obvious ways. Think about this from uneducated fishermen on the shores of the Galilee, just simply out there cleaning their nets, finishing a day of fishing. And Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And these uneducated fishermen begin to follow this rabbi and they had no idea in that moment what was getting ready to happen to their lives 
from uneducated fishermen on the shores of the Galilee to Caesar's ruling in Rome and everything in between, God had brought about this moment and every other throughout the course of human history for this, for this history-altering event to occur. And you know what? God is still doing that today. God is still and will continue doing this until the consummation of all things. God was doing things that Peter would never have been able to envision. Thus God intervened and expanded Peter's vision to see and experience the fuller plan that Peter could not see with his limited vision, his limited sight. This is the sovereign grace of God on full display. This is the same grace that we all need today. We need to have our eyes healed. We need to have our vision and our sight expanded. The limits taken off because we all see with limited sight. It's the world around us that conditions us and limits the way we see and the way we think. And God wants to unshackle us from those things that are hindering us from seeing the way he sees. God was doing things that Peter would never have been able to envision on his own. We need God to expand our vision to see his glorious plan and his glorious purpose. God gives Peter the vision and Peter does not understand what God is showing him. But God has gotten Peter's attention and has caused him to begin to wonder about things that he had no reason to wonder about before. Has God ever done that to you? You're just going along in life and something happens. It may be little, it may be big. And now you're beginning to wonder, you're beginning to question, you're beginning to ponder things that you never pondered before. This is what's happening to Peter. Peter was wondering. He was not sure what was happening, but Peter would soon see. All right, verse 17. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing." That might sound easy for us, but you can't imagine, and I can't imagine how difficult that probably was for Peter. For I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent from him to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For reason, what reason have you come? For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was, divi was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So think about this. Peter's up on the roof, not knowing what's transpiring. While he's up on the roof praying, men from 
the house of Cornelius are coming to find him. Peter's given the vision, and then God tells him, by the way, there's three guys at the door right now coming to get you. Don't doubt anything. Go down. Go with them. Trust me. As Peter's wandering about the vision, the Spirit speaks to him and tells him, go with these guys. Don't doubt anything. I've sent them. So God commands Peter to go with the men. He commands him to doubt nothing. Do you know that that's exactly what God commands us to do? God commands us to go in his will, to go in his way, and not to doubt. God never said that it would be easy. He didn't say do it because it's easy. He said do it because I said. We read the Bible, and I always tell people, we, we complicate things much more than they need to be complicated. It's like we say about discipleship. Discipleship is not complicated, it's just really hard. Walking with people is not complicated, it's just hard. Going and following the ways of God are not really complicated, it's just hard sometimes. Because it necessitates that we lay down our will and choose God's will. This is why Jesus said, if you desire to be my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. And the implication is there is when I take up my cross, I'm going to be crucified. My will is going to die. My, what I want is going to die to what God wants. But here's the beautiful thing. If we'll live and if we'll embrace what God wants, we'll soon find that our desires become his desire and his joy becomes our joy. And it's not a begrudging thing. It's a joyful thing. So meanwhile, Cornelius, while Peter is getting ready to go with him, while Peter's praying, while Peter's having the vision, while Peter's coming down and lodging these guys, Cornelius is preparing to meet Peter. But here's what's really happening. God is the one that's preparing Peter and Cornelius and everyone concerned for what he has purposed. Peter's not sure what's happening. Cornelius is not sure what's happening. The only one that knows exactly what's happening here is God. Peter is told by God, just trust me. Just obey. Just go with them. Don't doubt. Cornelius is told by the angel, send your people and go get this guy named Peter. Can you imagine how many questions there were on both sides of this, this issue, both sides of this event? God is the one in the middle working all of this out. Cornelius is preparing for Peter. Peter's preparing for Cornelius. But really, God is preparing both of them for his plan, for his purpose. And while the servants of Cornelius are on their way to get Peter, Cornelius is preparing for Peter's arrival. He's gathering his family. He's gathering his friends. He's getting his household all together to hear a message, even though he doesn't even know what the message is. He just said, go get this guy, and he's going to tell you what to do. In all things leading up to this moment, unknown to Cornelius, God had been preparing him and his household for the very things they were about to experience. The same was true for Peter. Do you know that the same is true for you and for me? Do you know that right now, God is preparing you for things that you don't even know about? Right now, God is preparing your family Right now, God is preparing your friends. Right now, God is preparing strangers that you don't even know, but he's preparing events. 
He's planning, he's purposing according to his will. And it's not for us to wonder why, it is for us to do or die. (laughs) God is preparing you right now for things you don't even know about. Just like he did with Peter and just like he did Cornelius. This is why we are commanded to be people who walk by faith and not by sight. Because sight doesn't tell us everything God is doing. In fact, sometimes sight tells us the exact opposite of what we think. And what God is doing. The two men had never met. This is what we call a divine appointment. They did not arrange it. God arranged it. It's safe to say that neither of them knew exactly what to do, what to expect. Peter did not fully know what the men wanted. That's apparent by his questions to them. Cornelius is told by the angel that Peter will speak to him and tell him what he needs to do. And God was arranging, setting up this divine appointment. Guess what? God is still arranging and setting up divine appointments today. The reason Gatana will be here today is because of a divine appointment that God arranged that no man could foresee. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. Let's read a few more verses. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have Come, uh, been remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So look at this, Peter, when he arrives at the house and he's, he's greeted by Cornelius, Cornelius falls down like he's going to worship Peter. And Cornelius is reminded by Peter, he says, hey, I'm a man just like you. And then Peter says, you guys know that very fact that I'm in your house is against the law that I live by. But I'm here because God has commanded me to come and he has revealed to me that I'm not to call any man unclean or common, that God has called clean. God is always working in known and unknown ways, in us, through us, and all around us. So many miraculous happenings, yet so many questions. So all, both of these men were filled with questions. They were all waiting to find out what in the world was going to happen 
the miraculous often creates questions we don't typically have or maybe questions we've never had before, just like it did with both of these men. But that's how God molds us and shapes us. God does things in us and around us that causes us to wonder, causes us to question. God uses our question, God uses our wonderings to change us in ways we would never be changed otherwise. God does things in our life. He interrupts our lives that, in ways that are uncomfortable to us. In ways that are outside of our norm. Outside of our comfort zone. This is exactly what he's done with both of these men. And he's done it because God has a purpose in all of this. God is going to change Peter forever. God is going to change the way Peter looks at Gentiles. God's going to change the way Peter looks at bacon. God's going to change the way Peter looks at everything. And God's going to do the same with Cornelius. And from that, God is going to change the way the church operates. From that time, from that very event, this event we're reading about in Acts chapter 10, this is why we are here. I don't know if you're Jewish, I'm not, as far as I know. I'm a Gentile, according to the Jews. But I'm a believer in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, because the gospel was preached to Gentiles. And the gospel was preached to Gentiles because of what God did right here with Peter and Cornelius to prove to Peter, a faithful Jew, that God can take Things that were once unclean and make them clean. And God can take a thing he called unclean at one point and make it clean because he calls it clean now. Just like you are unrighteous and unholy, but the only reason you are righteous and holy is not because something changed with you. It's because God has declared you righteous and holy. It's not something you changed. It's what God changed. God put a new heart in you. God put a new spirit in you. God made you a new creation and called you righteous and holy. You were unclean. You were common. You were rejected by God. But God has called you something different now. That's the gospel. Cornelius recounts his vision to Peter and all that God commanded him. He commends Peter for coming. It wasn't just what Peter had to say. What Cornelius wanted to hear from Peter is what God had to say. Remember, you have come to tell us what God has commanded you. And Cornelius understood that Peter was speaking under commandment by God. When I speak to you, I should understand I speak to you under commandment by God. That I'm not to declare my own message. I'm not to give you my own thoughts. I'm to declare God's word. I'm to declare his gospel. Peter was simply the messenger. Any pastor, any preacher, you, me, it doesn't matter. Whoever is proclaiming the gospel is simply a messenger. It's not our words. It's God's words that make the difference. So Peter preaches to Cornelius and his household. 
He preaches the gospel to them. Now, we're going to pause there this week. And we're going to pick up there next week, beginning in verse 34, where Peter begins to preach the gospel. Peter opens his mouth and preaches the gospel. And we're going to see what happens when the gospel is preached to this audience of Gentiles. What do we see from this account so far? We see two men who are both devout, one a Gentile and one a Jew. We see two men who no doubt had a daily routine to pray to God. They were both praying to the same God. But they were very different individuals who lived in very different worlds. And I can promise you that Peter never imagined that his world would collide with the world of this Roman centurion in the way that it did. And out of a simple act of prayer, something so common, so... I mean, there was... There was nothing earth-shattering about these men going up at the hour of prayer and praying. I want you to understand this. In their minds, they weren't thinking, I'm going to go up on the rooftop and pray, or I'm going to go into my closet and pray, and I'm going to change the world. It was simply their devotion to God. But yet, God took that very simple act, that very less-than-earth-shattering act, and He used it to change history. He used it to change the world. He used it to change the church. Neither one of these men knew what was going to happen when they went up to pray. But God knew. And do you see that God arranged for each of them to be where they were, doing what they were doing, so that, so that God could bring their worlds together and cause them to collide in a way that would literally change the course of history. We are, we are the result of what happened in Acts chapter 10. We today are the result of God's divine appointment with Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. In some way, in some fashion, we are the result of that. Because we are a Gentile church in a Gentile nation And we are trusting in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And we once were far away, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And God doesn't call us Gentiles, and he doesn't call them Jews. We are now one in Christ. And that's good news. All right, so we're going to stop there. We're going to get ready to come to the table. You don't have to be a member of this congregation to come to this table. But you do need to be a member of the body of Christ. You need to count yourself a member of God's covenant people. A follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ. This table doesn't mean you're perfect. It means God is perfect. means you're forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And we come to this table and we give thanks 
for what Jesus has done in making us part of his body and making us one in him. Christ is present at this table, not in bread. He's present at this table because you are present at this table. When we sit down today and eat our literal lunch after this service, you will sit at tables. And Christ is present at this table, and he will be present at our tables all around this room today because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christian, come to the table and welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. I want you to know, I want you to always remember, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what situation, what circumstance you may find yourself in, that God is always working. He's always working. He's working in known ways. He's working in unknown ways. He's working in ways we can clearly see. He's working in ways that we cannot see. He's working in ways that are obvious, that make perfect sense. He's working in ways that we could never imagine, just like he did with Peter, just like he did with Cornelius. God is always working in us, through us, all around us. And God is changing the world. Don't believe the lie that the world wants you to believe, that the world is growing worse and worse and worse and it's doom and gloom. And that even faith in God is just a crutch that you cannot depend on. It's just a, a fairy tale that our only salvation is ourself. That's, that's the message of the world. That our only salvation is ourself. That is a lie. God is changing the world. God is changing our lives he is doing it in ways that we cannot see, in ways that we do not understand. But our very world, the very world we live in is proof positive that God's word is true and God's gospel works. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no End. And here we are today, almost 3,000 years after those words were spoken and 2,000 years after that baby was born. Here we are today, living in a world that is better than anyone in the day of Jesus could have ever imagined. Why? Because... God is on the throne because the gospel works. Church, have hope. Know that God is always working. Know that God is always moving in ways we see and ways we can't see. Walk by faith and not by sight. Believe what God has declared in his word. Don't believe what the world wants you to believe. Don't believe what you can see with your eyes. Believe what you can see by faith in the Son of God. We have hope because God has given us good news in Jesus. I pray you go in that good news and make it known so that the world 
like you can have the same hope that you have found in him. Amen.